Take your Bibles, if you would, and there in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter number 15. Now, over the next few weeks, we will be focusing on reaching just one. Reaching just one. In your seats spread throughout, just a simple little piece of paper. And just simply says on there, who is your one? And I want you to be in prayer this morning. And each and every one of us, I am sure, knows at least one individual or one family that you could reach out to over the next few weeks. And the goal is that by the 11th, we will all have a burden on our heart to have reached one. Sometimes it feels like a daunting task uh, that uh, anyone would ask you to go into all the world. Can I take just for a moment the attention off of the rest of the world and focus it on you reaching one? I don't mean any disrespect to worldwide missions. You know me by this point in time. I have a love for missionaries and worldwide evangelism. I have a, a heart for that. I have a heart for our missionaries to be able to do their uh, uh, job correctly. But I cannot expect them abroad to do what we at home will not. And I think it's very easy to put $100 in the offering plate and let someone overseas do the job that you and I have been called to do. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 1 of chapter 15. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Father, bless now, we pray, the reading of your word. And Father, that you would hide me in my words behind the blood of the cross. But Father, I would not speak my own, but that I would speak the words you would have me to say. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. If you will notice, in this chapter, uh, there's a, uh, uh, we find three stories, uh, if, you, if you'll permit me the use of the term story, we find three stories uh, that Jesus is trying to get across a specific point. As you notice this, they, these three stories, they are all illustrating an important principle, and it is simply this, the value of one. 
Now, Jesus teaches this in the midst of the Pharisees and scribes complaining. Notice there in verse number one, what it says there in verse one and two. It says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. It's an interesting thing to me when it says there in verse number one, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. You know, it's a, it's, it's a funny thing and I can probably get myself into a lot of trouble on this. But the publicans and the sinners wanted to hear what was being preached. It was those who were righteous that thought he took too long. I'll just let that one simmer. But I want you to see what is taking place in this. The Pharisees and the scribes, they began to murmur, saying, this man receiveth sinners and he is with them. And so Jesus responds to their complaining with three stories on the value of one, the value of one individual. Here's what I want to try to get into our minds before we go any further in this. You, my friend, once were one. You were at one time seated in a church or in a, in a revival meeting or, or somewhere along the lines. You were someone's one that was reached uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can think back to the times where I have gripped the back of the pew in front of me so hard. I did not want to go forward. And I'm so thankful that the preacher didn't cut it off a little early so that we could get to Cracker Barrel in time. I'm so thankful that the preacher didn't hold back when he was trying to present. I'm so thankful that there are people who have gone out, handed a gospel tract to someone, didn't care if they were going to be rejected or not. I'm so thankful that there was someone somewhere along the lines who shared the gospel unashamedly. We were all one. But the problem is, like so many of us, we get into this role like the Pharisees and the scribes did where, well, we've been there, done that. It's not that important anymore. May that never be said of us. I'm so grateful that I was one. I'm so grateful that someone cared enough, that there were uh, churches who cared enough to hold the doors open, that there was a Sunday school teacher who cared enough, even though he knew the life I was living those many years when I come walking back into the church, a drunkard, a pothead, a degenerate at best, and I walked back in and he knew what I was. Instead of looking at me and saying, what are you doing here? He put his arms wide open and said, welcome home. I was one. Maybe there's many of us who don't understand what it feels like to be the one because we still haven't become one. We've been sitting around like those so many Pharisees and scribes. Just teach me, teach me, teach me. And we, we absorb and we take in and we take so much and we never put any feet to it. I would like to point out Jesus' heart in this passage. Many have spent a lot of time arguing over this chapter of Scripture. They want to discuss whether or not the ones that he's talking about are 
Oh, you know, those are the lost, the people who are unsaved. And then there's other people who stand on the other side and says, no, 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 no. He's talking about backslidden Christians. And they both use different areas of this to, uh, to support. Uh, they'll point to verses one and two, you know, the publicans and the sinners and, and the Pharisees and the scribes complaining. And they'll say, see, Jesus is talking about going and reaching the unsaved. But then there's others that will take you to the end of this chapter where we have uh, the, the story of the prodigal son. And they'll say, you see, this is the prodigal son. So it's not talking about the unsaved. It's talking about the saved who are backslidden. Can I let you know, I'm going to solve this issue for you today. If you've ever wondered, is he talking about the unsaved or is he talking about the saved? I'm going to solve it for you. Problem eliminated. I promise you. It don't matter. Because you can apply it both because what Jesus is talking about here is the importance of the one. Whether it be an unsaved individual who does not know the person, uh, the, the person of Jesus Christ as their personal savior, or he's talking about someone who has backslidden and walked away. What Jesus' point in all of this is God is concerned with the one that needs to be found. So you can apply this to the unsaved individual who has never come to Christ and go find them because God's concerned about them. But you can also apply this to the individual who has backslidden, who was once uh, in the house of God, who has, who has decided to walk away and guess what? Go get them back in. So both ways can be seen in this. And so before we get any theological arguments, well, this is what he's saying. Well, the Greek says this. Well, the, the, the Greek says this instead. Well, what you've got over here, just stop for a minute. Jesus is trying to portray the heart of God. That one's valuable. Let's go get him. The Pharisees and the scribes were saying that the publicans and the sinners were not valuable. That's what they were saying. He should be eating with us, not them. He should be spending time with us, not those degenerates. He should be spending time with us. I can't believe he's wasting his time with them. Stop for a minute. They're just as important as you are. And it's real easy for us to get excited. It's Sunday morning. I'm in the house of God where I ought to be. I know some people who aren't in the house of God like they ought to be. Pathetic. You know what? Get excited about the possibility of reaching them. Go. I want you to notice just a few things in this. The first is that Jesus wants us to quit neglecting the one. Quit neglecting the one. Notice in verse number seven there, I say unto you uh, that likewise joy shall be found in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety and nine. <laughs> I think sometimes we get excited. Well, we got 99 here. There's one missing. That's what Jesus wants us to. Hey, wait, there's 99 here. Praise God. And I'm so thankful for the 99. Please don't misunderstand me. But we're the 99 and there's some ones out there that need to be found. What are we doing about it? Look also at verse, uh, verse, verse number 10. 
Let me, let me read, actually, excuse me, let me go back to verse number 8 and get this so you get it all in context. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Do you notice that there in verse number 10? Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one. One. You know, we get excited sometimes over the large numbers, and we hear reports from missionaries. We had... We started 15 churches. We saw 2,000 saved this year. We, we baptized, you know. We get excited over those numbers, and you should get excited over numbers like that. You should get excited over what God is doing in other areas of the world. But what I would like to simply ask is, are you as excited over one? Just one. Last week after the services, we had one. Right after the services, we had, we, we, we had one. And I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. The one young man came to know Christ as Savior. You know the sad thing in America? I can talk about one. But if I had that exact same conversation and said 85, people would be jumping up and down, waving a hanky. We have lost sight of the one. And we need to quit neglecting them. Let me ask this question. Who is on the front line of ministry? Who's on the front line of ministry? We think about, okay, these missionaries going into a foreign field where they've never heard the gospel, they're on the front lines. Uh, and then the, you talk about people, well, no, it's people that are going to, uh, to difficult areas, you know, where, uh, where the Christian is hated and they're on the front lines. And then, so what are, what are we? Backup singers? What are the Gladys Knight? We're the pips? Here. Those on the front line are the ones moving forward, no matter where in the world they are. They could be in Africa. They could be in Arabia. They could be in Europe, or they could be right here in your hometown. The ones on the front line are the ones moving forward. Keep your hand in Luke and go back to Matthew chapter 16 with me. I want you to notice this one. Because I am so afraid that many of us live lives completely, completely out of focus. And the focus of Jesus, the focus of Jesus is on the heart of God in the value of each individual one. If that's the case, we need to start living this way. Notice what it says here. Matthew chapter 16. Now, you, you may remember this. Your mind may automatically connect some dots. Jesus is talking to the disciples, uh, and he's, he's asking them. He says, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elias. I want you to notice something that takes place here. 
Verse 16 says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock shall I build my church. Now pause for station identification. There's a lot that gets missed in this passage because we argue over what is being said right there. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, you know, some people will say, well, Peter is what Jesus built his church on. And then other people say, no, it was the statement of what Jesus built, Jesus built the church on. And then others still argue, no, it was uh, the truth found in the statement of what uh, is what he built. But we miss something. We miss something completely. Notice the next part of this verse, the very last little phrase there. It says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see that? I want that, let's just let that sink in for a minute. Notice it again. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whose gates? Come on, it's not a trick question. It's right there in front of you. Whose gates? So who's on the attack? We live so defensively, we forget that we are the ones attacking hell. We live defensively and we feel like, well, uh, Satan's going to attack us. Satan's going, no, 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 stop for a minute. The gates are what are under attack. When you attack a walled city, you attack the gates. And we, my friends, we have the power of God. We are the ones that have the truth of God. We are the ones that are on the winning team. I've read the last chapter, folks. Why in the world do we live so defensively when we're on the winning team? The gates of hell can't stand against the attack and the fourth right movement of the church of God. But we live so defensively, don't we? We need to quit living like we're on the defense. And we need to understand that we are the ones with the power of God in our lives. It's time to go. But, but Pastor, I'm, I'm so used to being on the defense. I'm going to hide in my church. I'm just going to stay over here where it's safe. And aren't you paying attention to the news, Pastor? Don't you see what they're trying to do to us? Don't you see, preacher? Don't you understand what they're trying to pass laws that are going to make it illegal for you to preach? I'm sorry, my friend. Don't be on the defensive. We got the truth. We've got the creator on our side. We think, okay, well, here's God and here's Satan. No, 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 my friend. They're not on even playing ground. Satan is not equal to God. We need to quit acting like it. Oh, the, uh, when's the last time you've ever watched a war movie and you saw the gates marching into battle? No, 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 my friend, we're coming against the gates. Or at least we should be. We sing, onward, Christian soldiers. Boy, howdy. 
if the, if, the, if the military was anything like the Christian soldiers of today, we'd be losing every battle. I want you to understand something. We've got to quit living this way. It's time for Christians to act like we're on the winning side. Quit hiding behind shields. Well, pastor, I got my shield of faith. No, that's a shield of cowardice. Lazy. That's what that is. I'm, I'm, I'm hiding back here. You'll never find in Scripture anywhere where it says, sit back, do nothing, and just relax. But you will find places that say, go. Get up. Get to work. Do. Live. Put actions to what you say you believe. You will find that a whole lot. We hide behind these shields. We become fearful because we have lost the understanding of how valuable the one is. Jesus was arming his disciples to go. And then I love the way he ends the Great Commission. Hey, I'm with you. We forgot that. That's why we don't go. We have forgotten. He says, I'm going to be right with you the whole time. Every moment. I want you to notice something from the past, from the histories. man by the name of Charles Peace, born 1832, and he lived until February of 1879. He was an English burglar and murderer. By age 22, he had already been found guilty of multiple mur- uh, burglaries and sentenced to four years penal servitude. He had committed several murders, run from the law for, many, for a long time, and finally was caught, convicted, and was sentenced to death. He was sentenced to death, and the person who was going to carry out the sentence was a man by the name of William Marwood. William Marwood was the inventor of the long drop. And so he was going to hang uh, Charlie Peace until dead for his crimes. Charlie Peace made, this, made a full conve- confession finally, having nothing left to lose, confessed to several different things that they hadn't even understood, didn't even know about. On the day before his execution, he was visited by the last time by his family, uh, for the last time by his family, but out of defense to their feelings, he did not ask to see a certain individual in his family. On the morning of the execution, he ate a breakfast of eggs and bacon, and he calmly awaited the coming of the executioner. He was escorted on the death walk. You know the death walk. We watch TV and we hear in the background, dun, 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 dun. As he was making his way down the death walk, he arrived by a clergyman, a prison chaplain who was reading aloud. And he says, what is it that you're reading? He says, I'm reading of the consolations of religion, sir. To which Charlie Peace replied thus, 
Sir, if I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. He made his way on to the hangman's noose and died. A criminal. Mass murderer. Professional burglar. Understood what we do not. You really believe that? And you're doing nothing about it? We claim that we believe all are sinners. That's what we claim to believe, right? I mean, we've been conditioned. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. We're all sinners. That's what we claim to believe. We also claim to believe that the wages of sin is death. We believe that sin earns someone separation from God. We claim to believe that there are two ways an individual can pay for that sin. The shed blood of Jesus Christ can atone for it, or you can spend eternity in hell. Spending the rest of eternity paying for it yourself. We claim to believe that there is a literal place of torment where the, where the fire is not quenched. We claim to believe that there is a God who so loved that he gave his only begotten son. We claim to believe not only that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life. We claim to believe that God commended, he demonstrated, he proved it, he put it on display, his love for you and for me, that while we were still dirty, rotten, disgusting, filthy sinners, he died for us. We claim to believe that all who place their trust, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We claim to believe this. We claim to believe that anyone who does not trust Christ as their personal Savior is dying and on their way to hell. We claim to believe this, and yet we sit by day after day while people are dying every second. Sir, If I believed what you and the church of God claim to believe, I would crawl across on my hands and knees, broken glass. For one. Go back to Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 4 with me, if you would. Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you... Now, (laughs) yeah, that's what I'm stopping on. What man of you... Guys, this will resonate with you because... Or men. 
We're men. Ladies in the room are going to be like, y'all are idiots. Let me just put it out this way. You know what it was like growing up as a kid? And people would challenge your masculinity. I dare you. You're no man if you don't. What kind of man are you? You know, we just, that's when we suck in a little bit and we let the chest stick out. I'm a man. Well, then jump off the building. You're not a man? <laughs> I'm a man. <laughs> are you sure that's what it takes to be a man? <laughs> These guys riding bulls. I know I'm, I'm crazy. I love watching the rodeo. These guys that ride bulls, they are nuts. Touched in the head. But there's a part of me, that little boy in me, and when I watch going, that's a man. <laughs> a man. Jesus says, what man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness? and go after that which is lost until he find it. What he's saying is, it makes no sense for you to ignore the one that got lost. You will take those, you've got a hundred sheep, and you find out that you're missing one. You're standing out there in the opening, and you're going 1, 2, 3, 12, 19, 85, 94, 99. One's missing. Where's Bobo? Bobo's a little touched in the head. I need to go find Bobo. And he's going to leave the 99 in the wilderness. Why? Because he knows the one that's missing is the one in trouble. These guys, they're doing okay. Here's the point of that. It's real easy to invite someone to church that already goes to church. It's real easy. You know, we have special days and we have these special events that come through the calendar and it's like, okay, go invite your friends and go invite your neighbors and go invite people. And what do we do? Well, um, oh, I know someone who goes to church. They probably will take a week off of their church and come to my church for this special event. Can I tell you for a minute, can you leave the 99 alone for just a moment? Let's go after the one. Let's go after the one that needs to hear about Christ. Let's go after the one that's lost, wandering aimlessly. Allison, let's jump to the last slide, please. Let's just go ahead and wrap things up this way. I want you to notice the urgency in going after the one. Look at verse 4 again. It says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose the one, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he found it? Here's what I want to say with that. Don't wait. Don't wait. He just 
stops what he's doing. He steps out, leaves the other in the wilderness, and relentlessly looks for them. Look at verse number eight, this woman who lost the coin. Some of you are like, it's a coin. She's got nine others. This is the way most people would look at this situation. But it would be equivalent to you ladies if maybe you lost the diamond out of your wedding ring. You're probably going to search pretty diff- pretty long and hard. You're going to break out a flashlight and start scouring the house. And then you might start cleaning. You know, if I clean, I'll find it somewhere. And then you're vacuuming and you're opening that vacuum back, right? You're opening it. You're digging through all the dust and mites and the dirt and the, what is that, you know? You're going to find that diamond, aren't you? That's what she's doing here. Look at verse number verse number 8. It says, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle, sweep the house, seek diligently till she find it? I've done that before. All right, kids, stop what you're doing. Let's get started here. You go check over here. You go check over there. Sarah's over here. I'm going to go down to the basement and start digging we got to find this. You know, some people search more diligently for the remote than they do unsaved individuals. You've been there. Where's the remote? Can't find it. And alas, when you finally find it, it was in your pocket. Look at verse 20 about the prodigal son. This is in verse 20, and he arose, talking about the prodigal son, and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, the father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this son was dead and is alive again, he who was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Notice that he doesn't plan the party. He gets the party going right now. You see, the father ran to the son. He was looking. He was waiting because it was an urgent thing to him. There was a sense of urgency about the situation. And those of you who enjoy looking at times coming to a close and you think we are about to see the rapture take place, I am I'm cleaning my ears to listen for Gabriel's horn, ought to be the ones who are the most diligent about this. If you feel that time is short, time is at hand, and the end of the world is about to happen, and the rapture is going to take place one day soon, my friends, you should be the ones leading the charge. We've got to notice the sense of urgency. So, let me ask you, who's your one? Now, told you at the beginning, you've got these little papers in your seats there. There's more, uh, there's a whole stack over here on the side. Don't cry. We'll get you one. You may be looking at this. And you look and you see it says their name. It's got a place for you to put their name. Novel idea. Here's what I encourage you to do. Put their name on the line that says their name. Now, 
If you're going to put a name there, you are making a commitment to God. That you're going to do everything within your power to reach that one. I didn't say it was going to be a guarantee. But you're making a commitment to God. I am going to do everything within my ability to reach this one. Some families may reach a family. Individuals may reach individuals. You may get a week into this and find out that person won't spit on you if you're on fire and change individuals. I don't know. But you're making a commitment to God. Don't take this lightly. It's got three other lines on there. It says, I will call them. If it's someone that you know and you had their number, when are you going to call them and talk to them? I will go see them. When? I will follow up with them. When? Now, some of you may be looking at this and go, can I confront you for a minute with the all love that I can? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. who humbled Himself and became obedient. Well, who are you for me to have to obey, Pastor? I'm nobody and I don't want you to obey me. But when I read the Word of God and it says, go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, those weren't my words. And it's high time we take it personally. It's high time. We quit twiddling our thumbs in the pews. It's about time for the people of God who claim to believe what they claim to believe actually put some action to it. You can do one of two things. And get mad at me or look at it as challenge accepted. I'll love you either way. And I'll pray for you either way. But the challenge is simply this. Put a name on that list, on that card. If you wadded it up earlier, Go ahead and unwrinkle that puppy. You know how to do that with a dollar bill? You can do it with other paper. Put a name on there. And here in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation time. And I encourage you to take that name to God. And say, Lord, I'm going to make a commitment to you to try to get them to church, to try to get them to the gospel, to try to witness to them as best I possibly can.
Will you, Lord, prepare their heart now? That's the challenge. Who's with me? Father, I don't know what else to say other than thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. Now, Father, what I want is to be obedient and to share this love and this gospel and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ with others. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would work on the hearts and the minds of all here today. Father, that they would understand it's time for us, that we would understand, that I would understand. It's time for us to quit being on the defense. And just because we're on the offense does not mean we can need to be offensive. But Father, that we do need to be moving forward. So I pray, Lord, that this morning would be a fresh start for us. That we would commend those on our cards to You, Lord. That You would prepare their hearts now. That over the next few weeks, we will do everything within our ability to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.